Well, if you have a Bible, you can open to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, or the text is also printed in your bulletin. We'll look at verses 11 through 18 this morning. We're in a series on Ecclesiastes that um, I guess we'll be finishing up probably sometime this summer, and um, we'll see where we go from there. But uh, so Ecclesiastes 9... 11 through 18. So we, uh, we have a lot of basic assumptions about the way life should work. That's, um, uh, that should be obvious to us. It's not obvious to us. We need help understanding what our basic assumptions are about how life should work. We do have a lot of basic assumptions, and, and everybody really is prone to live by these basic assumptions. We assume things like this. Things like uh, people with talent, people with resources... People with good education and training and a work ethic, uh, fit people, strong people, smart people are going to do well for themselves in life. They're going to have a good life. Um, They'll get ahead. They'll flourish. They'll succeed in life. This is codified for us, sort of in our culture, actually, uh, in the evolutionary doctrine of the survival of the fittest, right? The organisms which are best adapted to their environment will survive and they'll reproduce and they'll pass on their superior genetics. Uh, the fastest, strongest, smartest people. They're the winners. They're the winners in life. So the key to surviving and thriving and getting ahead in life, then, is to be fast and strong and smart. This is obvious, right? But is that really how life works? Can you secure for yourself a good life by improving yourself? Can you get everything you ever wanted by making yourself greater? Does that idea that you could do that Does that constitute real wisdom for life? Ecclesiastes would say, no, life doesn't really work that way. And God's true wisdom wouldn't lead you to approach life that way. Um, God's wisdom doesn't work the way that we think that wisdom should work. There's great value in God's wisdom, but it isn't the value of winning at life. Uh, So let's talk about that this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, your wisdom is so otherworldly, it can be hard even to recognize it, let alone accept it or live by it. So we pray that you would make us wise with your own wisdom, whatever that might mean, even though we don't understand. Help us to understand your wisdom. Help us to embrace your wisdom as we hear your word together right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. 
<clears throat> the words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so, um, much to my family's chagrin, I've been watching uh, a lot of soccer lately. I've been watching the Euro Cup. Uh, the Euro Cup is this big soccer tournament that happens every four years. It's the best teams from all the European nations playing together, uh, trying to qualify for this big tournament and get to the end of it. Uh, these soccer players are among the world's top athletes. Um, they basically sprint for several miles over the course of 90 minutes during this game, right? So, so last weekend, there was this game, and I don't know if maybe you heard about this, but uh, Denmark was playing Finland, and one of Denmark's star players, a 29-year-old named Christian Eriksen, he was just running along in the middle of the game, and out of the blue, nobody contacted him, he, wasn't, he was off the ball, nothing was... Uh, he just collapsed, he fell headlong into the ground, just hit face first, he's just out. Uh, he suffered cardiac arrest, uh, which means he died, basically, uh, just instantly. Uh, and team doctors resuscitated him with CPR and a defibrillator right there on the field. It was a pretty intense emotional moment uh, that soccer fans will probably remember for a long time, uh, especially because no one ever expects anything like that to happen. That's the first time that's happened uh, on, a, on a stage this big, right? Um, these are the fittest, healthiest athletes. Their cardiovascular systems are in great shape. Uh, you would never expect someone so young and, and so strong for his heart to fail and just keel over because we expect the survival of the fittest and the thriving of the fittest. That's what we expect. We expect the race to go to the swift, the battle to go to the strong, and so forth. We expect things like our fitness, our health, our abilities, our skills, our talents, our intelligence to pay off in a happy, prosperous, thriving, long life. We expect those things. We expect to gain greater control over our lives. We expect to be able to produce more desirable outcomes for ourselves through self-improvement and by education and by planning and training and hard work. How do you ensure a longer, better life? How do you approach that? How do you tackle that? I want to live longer. I want to have a better quality of life. Well, you get healthy and you stay strong. That's that's what we all do. How do you make money? If you want to make money, you want to make a lot of money, be smart, you get a good education, you work hard. That's what, that's what we do. But we can't get the security and the control that we want for our lives. In spite of all our strength, in spite of all our knowledge, the evil net descends on us and snares us, and there's really nothing we can do about it. Time and chance, he says in verse 11, Happen to us all, for man does not know his time. So it's not, it's not saying that, uh, you know, this is his philosophy of reality or whatever, that the universe runs on random chance and luck, things like that. Uh, it's just saying that it appears that way from our perspective, because what happens to us in life is outside our control. It's not what I would do if I controlled things. The assumption that you could gain greater control, that you could gain actual complete success in life by being strong enough or smart enough or whatever enough is exposed as a complete illusion when an evil time suddenly falls upon you, as Ecclesiastes says. All your talents and smarts don't pay off. They don't matter. They don't work when you have been laid off at work. When that just came out of the blue, 
or when you break a leg before the big game or when you suffer cardiac arrest at age 29. In this passage, Ecclesiastes, he's focusing on this attribute of wisdom in particular. Wisdom showing us it is good, it has great value, but it doesn't work like we'd like it to work. We want wisdom to give us greater power, greater control over our lives. We think wisdom ought to pay off and it ought to produce some tangible rewards like advancement at work or recognition or respect or something. But the scriptures regularly show that wisdom does not necessarily result in personal flourishing. Ecclesiastes says, he's got this great example. He says in verse 13, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There's a little city, a few men in it. And a great king came against it, besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So this is how we think life is supposed to work. The great king, that's the kind of life we want. The great king is great because he could do whatever he wants. He's a self-made man. He is mighty. He's impressive. He's a winner. And if there were a wise man in that city that could prevail against him, against such a great king, well, he wouldn't be poor. I mean, he'd be impressive. He'd be respected. He'd probably at least know the basics about how to make money. Can you even be both wise and poor? Can, I mean, can you imagine a poor wise man? Do you know any poor wise men? A poor wise man is something of an oxymoron according to the assumptions of this world. The value of wisdom is to improve one's circumstances, isn't it? The value of wisdom is to rise out of poverty and into a place of importance and comfort. But here he was, this great example of wisdom, and he delivered the city from certain doom. The fate of that little city, with few men in it, it was sealed when the great king came against it and besieged it and built his great siege works. Everybody knows that's how it works. Such an overwhelming show of strength means certain victory. That's what it means. But this poor man, this poor wise man, delivered the city, not through might. He didn't fight fire with fire, apparently. Not through might, somehow through his wisdom. Maybe it was through negotiation. Maybe it was through artifice or something. We don't know. We're not told. We just know it wasn't through the conventional means of strength because Ecclesiastes says this is an example of wisdom being better than might. So so the poor wise man saves the city. And then he gets the girl and he gets crowned king and he lives happily ever after and people sing his praises for generations, right? No, that's not what happens. In yet another failure to meet our expectations about wisdom, Ecclesiastes says no one remembered that poor man. So his wisdom is despised and his words are not heard because he was just a poor man who ended up being forgotten. His wisdom didn't work for him like we think it should have because even his great story culminates in obscurity. So what good is wisdom if it doesn't pay off like we think it should? What good is wisdom if it doesn't produce some tangible rewards? What good is wisdom if not even the bread goes to the wise? What good is wisdom if you can't get greater power, greater control by it? Ecclesiastes says wisdom is better than might. 
So he's not saying wisdom will get you ahead in life better than might will. He's saying that with true wisdom, there's a better way to approach life than trying to get ahead. There's a better way to live than grasping for power and control and success. In the Bible, true wisdom does not mean fame and fortune. Look at Joseph in Genesis chapter 40. He was a poor wise man. He had lost everything when his own brothers, they stripped him, they threw him into a pit, they sold him into slavery, and he eventually found himself languishing in an Egyptian prison. And by his wisdom, he helped the royal baker to get out of the prison, but the royal baker probably forgot Joseph, and so Joseph just was languishing in prison. He just stayed there for a while. In the world's eyes, this is not the kind of man that you would listen to. He wasn't even able to manage to keep himself out of prison. So what good is his wisdom? It didn't work out for him. Look at the wisest man who ever lived. Look at Jesus. He was the true poor wise man who didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't have two pennies to rub together. And his wisdom was despised by those who thought that they were wise Despised by those who thought, oh, we know how life works. We know how to get ahead. The survival of the fittest types. They were exactly the types to feel no need for Jesus' wisdom. It didn't even look like wisdom to them. His wisdom was better than weapons of war. He came teaching us wisdom for life with God, not the wisdom of how to get ahead in life. His wisdom was about things like peacemaking, about things like service and sacrifice. But that poor wise man was mocked and the weapons of war were raised against him and sinners destroyed much good when they condemned him to death and when they murdered him. And when he went to the cross, the Bible calls this the wisdom of God. This is divine wisdom. This is from the New Testament reading that Jerry read in 1 Corinthians 1. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. To anyone who understands how the world works, that doesn't even compute. It's folly. Save the world by a good man dying a humiliating and insignificant death. Yeah, that makes total sense. (laughs) Yeah, wisdom, right. Why would we listen to the wisdom of a crucified man? Why would we listen to the wisdom of a poor man like this? How could we see God's wisdom in Christ crucified? Whatever that wisdom is, it doesn't help me get ahead in life. It doesn't help me get more power or control over my life. What kind of wisdom is it? What's it even good for? It's God's wisdom. And it's good for life with God. And that's its only value. If you don't want life with God, then it doesn't have any value. But if you want to have the wisdom of knowing God for a relationship with him, if you want to have the wisdom of knowing how to live like God in this world, if you want to have the wisdom of knowing what it looks like to live with God rather than apart from him, you only have to look at the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. A poor, despised, forsaken man can be wise. In fact, this one embodies the wisdom of God and he reveals God's wisdom to us. The fact that this poor crucified man is 
the very wisdom of God means you don't become like God by becoming faster, stronger, or smarter. You don't relate to God by being mighty and impressive. You can only relate to God through the humble sacrifice of his son. You can only become like God by listening to that poor wise man, by picking up your cross and following him in the way of humble, serving love. His wisdom is not meant to extend your life, to improve or preserve your earthly life. His wisdom is is for finding love and joy and peace in your relationship with God in giving up your search for power and control over your life. His wisdom is not given to you so that you can be a self-made man or woman who takes what they want from others. His wisdom leads you to peacemaking and service and sacrifice. That is where you live with God. That's where you become like God. That's where you come to know God. Worldly men laughed at Jesus. They sought to silence Jesus. Certainly didn't take his wisdom to heart. If you listen to Jesus, if you learn wisdom from him, it probably won't work out too well for you in terms of popularity. Didn't work out for Jesus. You'll be overlooked, you'll be marginalized, you'll be laughed at, not taken seriously. The doctrine of the survival of the fittest would call you a fool for listening to a poor, crucified, wise man. His wisdom didn't even lead him to self-preservation. Yeah, it's like Jesus didn't even care about the the things that we assume are so basic, so important, like self-preservation. A worldly approach to life means having the power, having the might to exalt ourselves, even if it means tearing down and destroying others. But Jesus' approach to life means something like this poor wise man, delivering the city, not besieging it, delivering it, building others up, not tearing them down for my own glory for my own advancement. His wisdom is better than the weapons of war. His wisdom makes us for one another rather than against one another. Christ's wisdom is the wisdom of self-sacrificial love. That's wisdom for life with God. That's the wisdom of someone who is like God. That's God's own wisdom for life. If God were a man living in this world, that's the kind of wisdom he would demonstrate, which is what happened in the Incarnation. When God the Son came into the world in the person of Jesus, and he went all the way to the cross to make peace by his blood. His is the wisdom that was spoken quietly before Pilate, while the mighty in the city were all shouting for his death. The world may despise his wisdom, but we want to hear his words. We want to hear Jesus telling us, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted. We want to hear Jesus telling us, do not resist the one who is evil, but if Anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. We want to hear Jesus saying, love your enemies. It opens you up to the vulnerability that might lead to pain. It's something that the big and mighty people would laugh at, this idea of loving your enemies. But it's exactly how God has treated you. He's loved his enemies. And we can see how good that is in the cross of Christ. We want to hear Jesus saying, confess your sins and ask forgiveness. That's not how the big and mighty would stay impressive, but that's how we respond to the grace of God. We want to hear the wisdom of Jesus when he says, humble yourself like this little child and you'll be great in my kingdom.
Or welcome the little children, welcome the weak and the poor in my name. Even though they're insignificant in the world's eyes and doesn't make sense to them, welcome them. We want to hear Jesus' wisdom when he says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We want to hear the wisdom of Jesus when he says, Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, will save it. None of that's the conventional wisdom that says the race goes to the swift and the battle goes to the strong and the riches and power and fame go to the really impressive people. This is the wisdom that doesn't work for that stuff. It does not work for that. It's the wisdom of someone who gives his life away for others. These are the words of the poor wise man who died on the cross who makes known to us wisdom for life with God. So if you're interested in that, then you listen to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's automatic for us to live as if the race should go to the swift, as if the battle should go to the strong. Even to believe that the value of wisdom is for getting ahead in life for ourselves. It's easy for us to believe those things. We pray that you would help us to see in Jesus the true wisdom for life with you. We want to be like him in his wisdom, in his relationship with you. So help us to see your love in him. Help us to be captured by it and caught up in it and to reflect it as we live by his spirit. We ask in his name. Amen.